0: Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman. I am Senior Editor at Food & Wine. And today's episode was recorded this past fall. I had the opportunity to go and spend some time at a place that... Really has has become this oasis of uh, it's my happy place now let's just put it out there um, it's where I started meditating it's where um, a whole bunch of things fell into line for me and partially because of the conversation that you are about to hear uh, my guest was uh, Sean Brock. Uh, chef at, well, he's got a whole lot of exciting projects coming up that you'll we'll be talking all about on the podcast. But most notably, we were talking about um, the arc that he has taken to get sober and uh, the kind of chef he was uh, before and the kind of person he is now and what has changed for him. Um, we also, it, it, it it's a pretty intense conversation. So uh, being a maybe a good mental place when you are listening to this, Um, if you've, need maybe some help in that particular arena, just somebody to talk to, there's an incredible group uh, in- increasingly throughout the country called Ben's Friends, founded by Mickey Bask and Steve Palmer. It is an industry-specific recovery group for um, people who, uh, who work in the hospitality industry. They're not going to turn you away if you're not in the industry, but they are there because they uh, understand the specific impact that this culture can take on uh, the people who work within it. So go to bensfriendshope.com. You can also uh, always reach out to Crisis Text Line, which you just text 741, 741, and a trained volunteer will be there to listen to you and to get you from a hot moment to a cool calm at any given time. So here is our conversation. It is Sean Brock and me from Blackberry Farms. I hope you enjoy it. I'm just going to make sure I have this turn on. So actually, I'm going to um, do this first part uh, without my microphone on because I don't want to breathe into into this. But if y'all don't mind and you feel comfortable, would you please shut your eyes? And we're going to do three deep breaths together, um, in through the nose and out through the mouth because we forget to do this sometimes. Okay, first one. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. In through your nose. Out through your mouth. On this third one, make some noise as it's coming out your mouth. In through your nose. Out through your mouth. I forget to breathe. I don't know about you, but I forget to do that all the time. And uh, I was thinking about um, the first time, I was trying to, I was going back through my notes and and all this and trying to figure out when is the first time that I talked to Sean? And I'd written about him a bunch um, because I was so interested in this crazy kid who was doing molecular gastronomy at McCrady's, who was making uh, cotton candies and probably spheres and all. Uh, I, I believe there was some bacon floss involved. Um, but doing this, this crazy stuff that nobody had, had heard about. Um, and I was, I was really, um, he, 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 he loomed large in my head for all of this time. And finally, um, I was at a news organization that I thought, like, okay, he'll have to take my call if, if I call him and I want to talk with him um, because I was writing a big story about what is Southern food um, because there were there was a crop of chefs who were trying to sort of define what that is. And I remember um, <coughs> he was able to make it work on, uh, I think it was a Saturday, and calling on my, on my cell phone and it kept getting disconnected. And I'm walking down a Manhattan street. And I'm getting so frustrated. I'm thinking, this guy's gonna hate me. He's gonna think I'm such a flake. Because I kept having to stop and call him back. And I was um, on my way to lunch at Momofuku Co. And he told me to look for his friend who was working there. And um, this was back in, in 2011, and he took the time, and he gave me such thoughtful answers about what uh, Southern food was. And I had absolutely no idea that we would be sitting on a stage eight years later. And if I had asked you on that particular day, now that you remember the day, in 2011, and I had said, what self-care have you indulged in today, what would you have said?
1: <laughs> um... Maybe I took an extra long shower to help cure the hangover. Possibly,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was about it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, because that, that wasn't a word that people were using in the context of restaurants. It was it, it was a it was a very very different time not that long ago.
1: Yeah, you're. I mean, it's it's changing dra- uh, dramatically, drastically, and quickly. And um, it's time, you know. I. I started cooking uh, in the late 90s. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've seen, I, I was there during the, the difficult times. I've had pans thrown at my head. And I got hit <laughs> in the ear once with a hot piece of foie gras that I overcooked. Can't tickle.
0: <laughs> um,
1: um, but you, that was just how you earned your wings. Um, and that's what you were told. And that's what you told yourself. And then you just start accepting those things and that's why they run rampant.
0: Yeah, it was, um, and it was lauded too. You were congratulated if you were the person who worked the double, like went out and hammered a bunch of, uh, of bourbon or whatever it happened to be, didn't get any sleep and showed up the next morning for prep on time. That's a badge of honor, right?
1: that's how you gain respect to, 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 work harder than the person beside you.
0: Yeah. That's not sustainable as we have seen over the course of, you know, the last 20 years, 10 years, five years, two years. Um, but I will say that you are one of the people who is at the forefront of making sure that people are taking care of themselves. And I want to talk a little bit about that because, um, a year ago, you didn't know that you well. You would be showing up here with um, your little baby son, who <laughs> is six months old today. That's right. Yeah, let's talk about what that what it took you to get there, because you were in a frenzy of opening restaurants. Some of my favorite restaurants that I have ever been to in my life. Um, we we share vegetable tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I got red okra. <laughs> um, I forget what particular uh, strain this is, but it, it's not Clemson. Is it? It's no, it's crimson, because oh, I know there is that other like Clemson okra thing, mm-hmm. but there's uh, but there's a, a strain of red okra, um, and you were opening. I remember I went to Husk and had this magical experience out on the porch and I went to House Nashville, and I went to McCready's, and you know, my sister was freaking out because you opened one in Greenville, and uh, all of a sudden there was somewhere really great to eat in Greenville that she was very excited about that accommodated vegetarians like her in a particular way, but that, that comes uh, at a cost, um, that, that sort of expansion, that sort of drive. When you were growing up, and I've met your mother, and I know she's an extraordinary cook. <laughs> Cooking alongside her, how did you get from being that kid who is, you know, playing with 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 vegetables, with pigs, with whatever, to all of a sudden having this empire? Not all of a sudden, actually, a big, big <laughs> long ramp up to that. So, how do you? How did that happen? How did that particular journey happen?
1: Well, it's a very um, complex answer, but we got time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I now know that um, I found comfort in in restaurant kitchens. I, f- I found I felt security there. It was like you're you're hidden back in the back in this like little submarine almost.
0: How old were you the first time you stepped into a restaurant kitchen?
1: Fifteen. And um, I don't know. It just it felt like a profession that was gaining respect at the time this is 1994
0: back on the pirate ship
1: (laughs) yes and food network had just come out and you know you you were seeing all these these chefs being celebrated as as celebrities and stars and i just thought that was the coolest thing because i'd grown up watching um julia child and jacques de and yan can cook and great chefs on the discovery channel and uh I just fell in love. Yeah. And twenty years later I blinked my eyes and I was in I was I was in a, a tornado. I was in a whirlwind.
0: It's it's a different thing being first of all a cook than being a chef, being a restaurateur and being a celebrity. And over the course of all of this you've legitimately become a celebrity a person on whom a lot of people um, put a lot of weight. I mean myself included because I was writing this great big thing about what is Southern food for, for, for CNN? and I put that on your shoulders, that you had to be the guy to be part of the, the definition of that. Um, how do you make that transition from being that, you know, scrappy kid in the back? who is getting stuff thrown at your head, who is, is, is doing whatever you were told, um, to being a person who is the person in charge and then opening the restaurants. That's, a, that's not just a skill shift. That is a psychological shift and a personhood shift.
1: Well, I now know that I was desperately seeking worth, yes. and that's where I found worth. I found worth... Um, Because I was um, rewarded for being a workaholic, Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up being the executive chef of the Hermitage Hotel in Nashville at the age of 24.
0: Okay, I'm thinking when I was 24, I was just just a garbage human (laughs) who had no business telling anybody to do anything. And you're running a really a, a legacy place at that age. I
1: wasn't doing it well. <laughs> I had no business being being in that position, but I had such a a drive to succeed and to find that worth that I put myself through hell um, just to not fail. I was terrified of of, of failing, and I think. My whole life, I've, I've been terrified of failure. I think we all are. Um, I now know that failure is growth.
0: Yes, and it's a gift to show that vulnerability to that kid in the kitchen who's got their eyes on you. Um, but I think a lot of us are, are taught, a lot of us who, you know, I'm, I'm very open about the fact that I deal with mental health issues, um, anxiety, depression, um, ADHD, and a panic disorder, if anybody wants the laundry list of, of this. Um, and I was scared to death for so much of my life about admitting that in public because I was so afraid of what people would think about me. And then I realized the strongest thing I ever did was to sort of come out publicly and say, like, hey, here's what I'm dealing with because that gives other people permission to, you know, think like, okay, well, you know, I've, I've got my own stuff and it's all right and she seems to be doing okay. Maybe I am on that day or something. But to be somebody who's in, in the spotlight, not just in your own kitchen, but in the media and stuff, who can show, show failure and talk about it, that's, that's a gift to people, how did you resolve? How did you get to the point where you were able to to talk about that and show that?
1: Well, um, I broke.
0: Yeah, can we talk about that? I I think a lot of people have seen Chef's Table, but for those who don't, or those who want the deeper cut on that, let's talk about what that looked like.
1: Well, our nervous system and our brain, it's not designed to be that dysregulated for that many hours, for that many days of the week, for that many weeks and a year and that many years and a lifetime, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with who you are or where you come from or what you've done. It's the way human beings are built. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can only take so much. That's just science, That's not. that's not my, theory that's not that's not an idea that's just the truth of science um, and I'd gotten to the point where I was operating eight restaurants in five cities and um,
0: probably not asking people for help with it no
1: um, yeah, and when you're the sh- when you're the chef and you're the boss it's like you 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 always have to have the answer regardless of whether you have it or not you have to go find it if you don't have the answer. Um, and, and I can go on and on about those those pressures and, and those complications that you live with, but I just, I got to a point where I, I went into what's called um, a limbic freeze uh, or a vegetal freeze. I um, ended up, also, uh, with an autoimmune disease that um, came about because of stress and fatigue, and my immune system produces all these antibodies that attack um, the receptors on your muscle that grab the acetylcholine, which carries the, um, the the message from your brain through your nerves into your muscle, and um, that went undiagnosed for couple of years, and the first symptom is is double vision, and then your, um, which I still have every day, um, then your eyelids stop working, you can't, and then eventually um, it goes, if, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, it it, it goes uh, through your entire body, and your throat stops working, your lungs stop working, and then that's all she wrote.
0: And this is your body trying to take care of you. It's your body trying to tell you, stop, what you're doing isn't working and you have to take care of yourself. But you're getting messaging as a chef, like, go, 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 this is working out for you.
1: Yeah, and uh, that was exactly what it was. It was my, my body and it was the universe realizing <laughs> that it was out of options um, to signal to me that, that I, was, I wasn't taking care of myself. Um, and so I had ended up having six surgeries on my eyes while awake, um, over a period of a year and a half, um, and that trauma of being strapped to a bed, having your eyes cut and snipped, and, and, and one surgery that actually took my eyeball out, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) To, to adjust muscles and nerves, um, and so your brain and your nervous system, it doesn't know that you, that you you're you're, you're you can't feel it. It just knows to alert you of this threat. Um, and so that was the tipping point for me. Um, I eventually got diagnosed with myasthenia gravis, which is um, a very rare uh, autoimmune disease. Um, and it was that was the tipping point because. Um, with with all those surgeries, all of a sudden, I couldn't go to work.
0: And who are you if you're not working?
1: And when I would go to work, I couldn't see. My, my vision was double and I couldn't get my hands to work. I would grab a spoon and I would go to plate and then I couldn't let go of the spoon. I would have to physically open my hand. So for the first time, uh, in my life, I felt worthless. And it was devastating. It, it was devastating. So I got even better at drinking whiskey. <laughs> <It really laughs> at least I with, thought I was, was good at drinking helps whiskey with the
0: coordination. I mean, um, yeah.
1: And, and with sick surgeries comes painkillers. Mm-hmm. And that just pushed me into uh, a freeze. And so, our nervous system, when alerted of a threat, we go into the amygdala and limbic part of our brain, where fight, flight, flee, or freeze lives. And all of us are born with what's referred to in psychology as a window of tolerance for our ner- our nervous system has a window of tolerance, and. From, from birth, you know, we, we go up and down all day long. We go above it, and that's anxiety, and we go below it, and that's depression. Um, and it just, it's like a pendulum, it swings back and forth. And when the nervous system is so fatigued, it can't take any more, it goes into freeze. And so what freeze looks like is a possum playing dead. You appear to be dead. You see it in in um, the animal kingdom. You, your 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 brain activity slows to, to near nothing. So your heart rate slows to near nothing. Your blood flow, your movement, you you appear dead to your um, attacker. Um, and so, what that looks like for a human being in every in everyday life is you become. Uh, emotionless you you is that a word emotionless yeah <laughs> um you become a zombie and it had gotten to the point where i couldn't read a sentence like i, I could not read the sentence and absorb the information um and when i um I, that just continued the 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 fear of of what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do with my 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 life? And so, one of the f- most important things that I, I took from that experience is I did. I was so frozen. <clears throat> I was in such rough shape that I, I didn't possess the ability to ask for help. Not even I mean, the thought didn't cross my mind. I, I was I was just that miserable. And now I know the importance of uh, asking for help, but also recognizing when someone else needs help and doesn't have the capacity to ask for it.
0: That, I think that's such an important thing. Um, to be very frank, if you had asked me some years back if you'd be alive to sit on this stage I don't think I could have definitively said yes Um, because there I think you probably know at this point, or, or let you probably let yourself know at this point how many people out in the world love and care about you, even the people, even people who you will never know, <clears throat> think about you and, and give a crap. And but if you're in that low state, you can't feel that, you can't know that, and it doesn't occur to you that you'd be worth saving necessarily if you're at a super low point. It, it that information doesn't sort of trickle in there. Um, there were some people who. Who forced help on you, though? <laughs> <The> really- <clears throat> yes, um,
1: I I had um, actually just been here. It was um, first week in Gen- the first weekend of January. I was here, um, and I I was in the, the, the depths of of the black hole, and <clears throat> I got home and got into an argument. Um, with Adi and I, I packed a bag and checked into a hotel and I sat there and I, I just I needed to figure out what was going to happen um, and and what I didn't know I didn't I didn't had no idea what was going to happen um, I think I stayed there for four or five days um, ate and drank like drank like a king and um, then I had to go to Charleston for, um, for work. And so I came home to pack my bags um, and the doorbell rang. I just assumed it was the FedEx guy delivering more whiskey. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was uh, three people who had the, the fear of God in their faces, trembling full-body um, trembles. It was,
0: they were scared to,
1: oh, well, I've also now, um, uh, been on the other end of, of interventions and wow.
0: Yeah. What was your mental state when you open the door and there are these people who are beloved to you and they're basically saying, we're here to save your life. Are you ready to be saved at that particular point?
1: I said, thank God, it was such a relief. It was such a relief. And I didn't know that I could have asked for that help Yeah, because my brain and, and, and the human brain is wired to reach for pleasure and run from pain. When it is faced with that choice, when it's standing at that crossroad, it will always 100% of the time choose pleasure and so, I knew that I was miserable. I knew that it wasn't sustainable, but I kept my brain kept finding excuses. You can't leave work that long. You can't do blank. You can't do blank. And and you believe it when you're in such a low place. Um, the human brain is fascinating.
0: Oh, it's such weird meat living up there in our in our heads and. The thing is, you can rewire things. You can do very active work to change thought pattern. You can't change sort of certain things about yourself, but you can you can train your brain into taking better care of itself, to rerouting those thoughts that that pop up automatically, and. The thing that I know that happened for you, when so how, how long were you gone? And you, and if, if somebody had told you you're gonna be gone for X amount of weeks, you would have no, 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 no.
1: I was gone for 45 days.
0: Okay. So during that time, that's, um, so during that time, you got taught some better coping mechanisms. I went start. to
1: yeah. human university, I went to life university, yeah. and you, you hear rehab, and my, my brain immediately went to Dr. Drew and whatever that show is. Oh um, it's like, hmm, I was like, I could sit by the pool. <laughs> um, but the place that was chosen for me uh, is one of the most special places on earth. Uh, it's called the Meadows. Um, if you recall, I don't know how many years ago, but, but Michael Phelps. Um, there was a huge story on how his life completely changed and, and turned around, um, and he went to the meadows. And uh, it's a place where you—it was—it it, was—I it, was in school. It was college. Um, I was studying. I, I was going to seminars and lectures. It was one of the—it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. I—I uh, I oftentimes wish I could go back and do it, um, <laughs> like once a year. Yeah. Um but you, you wake up every day at 6, and then from six thirty seven till 11, you're doing the hardest work you've ever done in your entire life.
0: And what does it look Is it talking? Is it meditating? What does it look like?
1: The core of the program there is, is based around understanding codependency. Um, codependency, we all suffer from. I don't care if you think you don't suffer from it. I don't care if you've read 15 books about it. You'll still suffer from it. It's the way we're wired. It's the way we're raised, especially Southerners. We take care of other people first before we take care of ourselves,
0: especially in the
1: restaurant industry.
0: Oh, chefs are the best and worst at that.
1: And, um, uh, you do, um, two two-hour group sessions per day of, of intense uh, therapy, and then you do uh, some individual ones, and then, um, then there are also uh, a couple lectures each day on um, understanding why your nervous system can't handle those things, and understanding how your brain works, how your nervous system works, how they communicate and what happens when you don't take care of yourself. And that education that I received there gave me the gift of self-compassion.
0: That's a hard one. It's a really hard one.
1: And actually that key, that door, the key to that door didn't appear until about five days before I left. I was still struggling um, with... The idea of um, putting myself first, taking care of myself first, I just could not wrap my head around it. And also understanding the, the power, the negative power of shame and guilt. Those two things, especially when they work together, those two things are the most dangerous emotions that exist, and there is no... Healthy shame; um, those things can keep you in a terrible, terrible, terrible place. And self-compassion helps you fight those those villains uh, every day. Um, and for me, it's every. I, I still, I'm still studying, like. I did. I'm still studying psychology and self-care the way I studied culinary arts as a kid. Um,
0: you're not a man with small passions. <laughs> well,
1: as I was leaving uh, rehab, I, you write your um, aftercare plan, all of the things that you're going to do um, when you get home, all of the, the self-care, uh, schedule gets written out. You write your own. Mine was, of course, this long.
0: Me is doubt. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, and my, my counselor just looked at me and said, your next tattoo needs to say moderation. and <laughs> It needs to be on your forehead. <laughs> Let's
0: um, also say that you, you're a person who had developed a reputation for not being moderate um, and king of the partiers and you have to go back out and make the world obsessive
1: thinking um, not understanding moderation is a form of coping Mm -hmm. so when I feel that coming on I know that there's something there's a screw loose somewhere something bothering me Mm -hmm. there's something haunting me that I haven't processed and dealt with and faced and made amends for and and dealt with Um, it happens every day
0: so people, thousands of people every day are, are going through this this process, this new this newness. You're being sent back out into the world like a baby fawn, and you know have to relearn how how to live in the world. Um, they're not all doing it in such a sort of a, as a public figure in the way that you had been up to that point where. Um, You were the leader of the party and (laughs) somebody who. First
1: one there, last one to leave always. Yeah,
0: there was a particular term getting brocked. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, and and to have that particular thing. And when you became publicly sober, Kim Severson wrote um, a piece for the New York Times and. You know, and actually, she was sort of calling me a lot while she was was uh, was was writing this because I, in addition to being a food journalist, I um, run a project called Chefs with Issues. Um, it's been around for about three and a half years, and I talk about um, and it's sort of a safe place for people um, in the restaurant industry to talk about mental health issues. So we were talking about that, and she was saying, "You know, is it responsible for her to you know tell the story and all this kind of stuff?" Um, so you are re-entering a you know, pretty um, raucous circle of people. The, the, uh, the Southern chef circle is, is tight and takes care of one another in a really big way, and also it's a great big party that is way too easy to get swept up in. And suddenly you're having to go back to events and all of that kind of stuff. How do you take care of yourself during that?
1: I got off the plane from rehab, and walked into the Charleston Food and Wine
0: Festival. Wow.
1: I've been so lucky. Uh, My obsessive um, brain has also made me obsessive with uh, self-care and fully understanding what that means for me. And in therapy, in counseling, they refer to it as the gift of consequences. And so I write down those three consequences and I put it in my pocket. And any time, any day, any minute, any moment, I, luckily it's never happened, have the urge to, to stop taking care of myself or start to maybe be a little jealous of the person drinking the twenty five year old bourbon across from me. I just asked myself, which one would you rather have? Mm-hmm. The three things on this list are that. And it's very easy.
0: Yeah. And you being I mean it's 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 a gift that you were uh, so public about this and willing to do this story with Kim and I I didn't want to put pressure on you at the time and I was very careful with Kim saying this part is off the record but saying that you going through this journey and doing it publicly was the thing that was going to change the game for so many people because I saw it had a ripple effect that people taking a look at themselves and saying like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? Maybe I need to start taking care of myself. And I didn't want to put pressure on you about like, ah, you know, I can't slip up, I can't do, you know, whatever, because you still get to be a person and you still have to live in your head and your body every day. But I saw that as a really seismic change in the industry that all of a sudden this thing that had been, I think people were so afraid of missing out on the party um, the party's got to end sometime, and people didn't know what to do with themselves. Since then, I've gone to so many conferences and gatherings and stuff, and people are calling it quits like early at night, so they can get up and go to a yoga class in the morning. That didn't happen five years ago. People would have, you know, called them a wuss. People would have called them, you know, whatever, and and it would have been hard for them to to go out. Maybe they wouldn't have gone to the festival because they knew that there would be that pressure to do it, but.
1: We have this um, hardwired desire to be a part of something, Mm -hmm. to feel like we belong somewhere. And for people in the hospitality industry, it's that click, that party.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I feel like the party's changing, and I I feel like what you are are doing, let's talk, I'm so interested in the next phase of what you're doing, because you did something incredibly brave for the workaholic human who you are, and you stepped away from the day-to-day of, of restaurants to build something new. Can we talk about what that looked like—the move <clears throat> out—and then what this new thing is going to be?
1: Walking away from from eight restaurants, eight teams, eight families that you feel like you're responsible for. Um, Things that you founded, things that you started from an, an idea on a piece of paper, um, took a lot of courage, um, but I will say it was a really easy decision. Um, it was it, I didn't I didn't I didn't struggle with it at all. Um, I I've learned to to know when I'm suffering, uh, and I, I, I'm. I can, it's somatic, I feel it, I know when it's happening, and uh, there there was a moment where I was boarding a plane to the 8th restaurant, and I was just like, this isn't, this is the opposite of what I'm supposed to be doing, Um, and normally, those villains would have shamed me or guilted me into staying in that place of suffering for the rest of my life. Um, but luckily, um, I have new superhero powers, and I was able to to, to make that decision, and uh, for the last year, I haven't worked Um in the best year of my
0: life. Well, you've been kind of busy, especially for the last six months. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, I, I'm I'm building yeah. a crazy restaurant, which is work, but that's that's the workaholic in <laughs> that's me.
0: That's so chefy. Yeah, of that's you. That's, like, that's like oh, I'm just building a restaurant. That's like, that's no big deal. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the workaholic in me. How do, how do you keep saying you are working? I'm like, yeah. well,
0: you're not on the line. Yeah,
1: <laughs> work to me is is 15 hours a day in the kitchen cooking. Um, just so dumb um and so i knew that i i know that i never want to go back to that i'm not going to go back to that because i don't have to who says i have to yeah i don't so i'm not going to one of the most valuable things that i've learned recently is asking the question who told you you have to do that
0: yep that's
1: Most of the time, the answer is I told myself that, and so the trick is to tell yourself otherwise. <laughs> and it's all, its it, it, its true. It works, um, and so I'm now designing a restaurant based around for the guests and for the team, based around taking care of our nervous system. And 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 it's wacky. It's wild. There's no moderate. There's 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 no moderation involved, but. Um, if I'm going to go back to the world that I love and and, and obsessively passionate about it's got to be different and uh, I've designed a restaurant that will be a safe zone it will be a place of security it will be my little community um, and so I'm building somewhat of a, a, a restaurant complex inside of a 10,000-square-foot uh, building. Um, downstairs will be a restaurant dedicated to the idea that I'm going to spend the rest of my life exploring in, uh, Appalachian culture and cuisine where I grew up, um, which I now realize is a rediscovery of self of myself, of me. What an amazing journey to be on at this point in my career, this age. This, it's so exciting. Um, that restaurant will be casual and fun. Upstairs will um, feed the other side of my brain, the, the modern, creative uh, cooking side. Um, there'll be a small restaurant up there that's tasty menu only. That leaves about eight thousand square feet upstairs. <laughs> um, so I thought, what if I could selfishly take all my self care? My self care schedule is, is pretty pretty intense. Um, it's it's eased up a little bit since Leo's arrived because um, he kind of filled that hole. Um, uh, but I was like, what if I just put it all here, have it within arm's reach that will help, I believe, take some of the stigma away and normalize the idea of taking care of yourself. Because if you're working there as an employee, you have access to all my, basically my self care schedule, um, I recently had a meeting with the Meadows, where I went, and they just set up a neurofeedback lab at Google and did a three or four month experiment, and so they're gonna do that at the restaurant. We're gonna have a neurofeedback lab inside of a restaurant. And what a neurofeedback lab is, it's insane, it's amazing. It's the first thing you do when you go to the Meadows. You sit down, you plug all this, well, they plug all this stuff all over your head, hook you up to a computer and you sit in silence and try not to think about anything for 45 minutes. And what they're doing is recording brainwave activity. And then they print out an average of each brainwave and its um, number on a scale, I think it's like 0 to 22 or something. And then you go through each brainwave. Well your alpha's at 8, it really needs to be at 22. This would make you feel blank self-compassion and then once you you get a plan for your brainwaves you get your brainwave plan um, and then every day you focus on different brainwaves on lowering um, or raising them Uh, and 45 days later when I left that printout was everything was exactly where it needed to be and that was the first time I felt clarity like truly a sense of clarity and thinking clearly and, and feeling peaceful, like truly feeling peace. Um, and so I've continued to, to do those those things. Um, imagine how great it would be to be an employee that gets to walk up to a table to take care of a, a guest and you, f- and you feel the best you could possibly feel. You're going to take better care. Of the guest, and if that can work, that I think that's just gonna it's gonna change a lot of things um, for the restaurant industry, and not just the restaurant industry. That can be translated anywhere, and, and uh, we're gonna offer um, acupuncture, Reiki, intuitive massage. This this team, we're building this soundproof room. Um, with this crazy padded floor and the shag carpet walls and these blocks that are vibrating at exactly 60 hertz. 60 hertz, if you touch and hold anything that's vibrating at 60 hertz, your nervous system has no choice but to be perfectly regulated. That's amazing.
0: Are, are you taking applications now to <laughs> work there? Because it this is revolutionary. It really... It really is, because I, I do think that the stigma in the restaurant industry is changing, where if somebody says, like, hey, I have to take off and, I don't know, go to my grandparents' funeral or something like that, where you used to be looked at, like, you know, how dare you, you wuss, you muscle it through, to have that kind of polarity where you're, you're having that and you're having, you know, a, a pan thrown at your head uh, to going to what you're talking about. I mean, that's, that is a very, very, big shift and I you know how how do you see do you you feel like this is going to be do you want this to be the norm at restaurants where and how does that get translated
1: well it's so easy for me to have an idea like this and immediately want to help every restaurant in the country with it Mm -hmm. but that's what got me in trouble yeah um I've been studying this um, psychologist, his name is Alfred, was Alfred Adler, he was with Carl Jung and Freud. I think it's the most brilliant um, theories that, that exist on, on how simple life truly is. And he's, he's determined, he determined that life is as simple as finding community that you feel like you belong to a place that you feel safe and secure and a place that you feel like you belong to and then making a contribution to it that's all you need in life that's it
0: so i will say that sean is a person who with this group chefs with issues um there's a a Facebook community that at this point is about 3,400 people um, and it's a private community, people can request to join, they have to be in the industry and then they have to promise not to share anything outside of it, but I've definitely had some people In there, who have you know said, "Hey, I I need help. I need whatever," and I know that I can reach out to Sean. I think I've done it at two in the morning um, before, and he will immediately because you're up at two in the morning, and uh, immediately will say, "Here, you know, here's my number, whatever they they happen to need," and sort of all the to me the greatest lights in the in the culinary industry, and I'll. Same his name out loud because he is very public about this kind of stuff. Andrew Zimmer and Will do that too. I've reached out to him at ungodly hours and said this person needs help, and he's 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 right on it. Um, but these are people who have have thought to ask for help, and now that you have this this view, you have some distance. You know that it is not easy for that person who needs it to to reach out and to say, hey, here's you know here's what I happen to need. How do people? How do you identify those people, especially in a restaurant? So you see the kid with their head down and you think that maybe there's something not going on with them. How do you have that conversation with them to say, you know, hey, are you all right? What do you need? How do you, how do, you do that? And how do you do that with either somebody who's working with you or somebody in your peer group who you're like, um, I think maybe you're a little bit out of whack?
1: Well, <clears throat> in recognizing those individuals, I just think about, how I used to behave, and hurt people hurt people, and ang- angry people are hurt, and um, that's usually the first sign. Um, also, complete quietness can also, can also um, signify that for me. But that's where it gets very, very tricky, is understanding what Alfred Adler refers to as the separation of tasks. What is my task? What is, what is that person's task? What happens on my side of the road? What happens on their side of the road? How do I not interfere with their task? And the answer is encouragement. It's if we start by instilling courage in someone, that's all we need is, is encouragement. And if we can cultivate this idea of encouraging people to be vulnerable, to take better care of themselves that's 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 going to be pretty amazing and communication is where we stumble Uh, we're not taught how to communicate with boundaries and vulnerably and with empathy and so in the restaurant the new restaurant uh, built a building a classroom and so we will teach people how to speak when there's a conflict, how to ask for help, and how to do all these things while staying horizontal and keeping what uh, Alfred Adler refers to as a horizontal relationship. Um, uh, At the Meadows, they would call it one up and one down. The way you speak to someone um, needs to stay, you need to stay here, horizontal. But if there are so many trigger words and certain things that you say, if you ever find yourself pointing one up, one down, what happens when this person's down here? They're going to do everything they can t- to shift it. And and education is the, is the answer there. We can't be expected to know these things.
0: And I will say also, the thing that I've in, encountered a lot is that it's a chicken and egg kind of thing in, in restaurants that people who maybe have these you know emotional vulnerabilities and particular patterns and things go to restaurants because they seek community um, with other people who are like them. They maybe are not the person who would be happy in a 9-to-5 job. They're the kind of person who can go into a kitchen and, and a lot of the world falls away. If you can do your job, then you count in this team and you matter and you can be part of it. Um, I've spoken with people who have various uh, you know, things that they're dealing with. People with um, uh, obsessive-compulsive uh, disorder and things like that find a rhythm in the kitchen. They might find you know, acceptance in a very particular way that maybe they wouldn't necessarily in a traditional office environment. Um, and at the same time, certain things are exacerbated, um, that some of this stuff becomes more intense. It's physically grueling at the end of the night. What do you do with all of your adrenaline? And I think for a lot of people, the notion is you go out and you do a dumbass thing with the rest of your colleagues, and um, and, and you're part of of that kind of thing. So so much of this feels like breaking a, a, a cycle that has been perpetuated for decades, and you know, and 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 identifying those those vulnerable people and stuff are. How do you hire for that kind of emotional intelligence for the people who you do want to come and work for you, who are going to be open to this kind of thing? Because there are always going to be people who just want the paycheck, they just don't want them, whatever. How do you hire for that?
1: So we have a very interesting and have formed a very interesting way of hiring people, and um, I don't look at resumes. I, d- I just don't look at them. I have people write a letter on why they want to work there. and that's their true voice that's them and I can read in that essay that they write if, if they're the right person yeah. if they're at a stage in their life where um, it's the right time those are the people I choose because I think worse should be defined by uh, this sense of belonging and being able to contribute to the place that you feel like you belong to and uh, no resume can tell you that.
0: So what's the food going to look like?
1: <laughs> um, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> That's kind of great.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I showed up here with no idea what I was going to cook. Um, I just kind of look at things that way. I, I keep my mind open, <clears throat> and I wait for it to fall out of the sky. Because if you're clear-headed enough and happy enough, it's falling out of the sky all around you. You just got to be awake enough to, to grab it.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I can't wait. I, I'm just imagining being a guest at this place where everybody around you is is feeling okay about their their state in the universe that particular day, where you have have cooked with this, you know, kind of thoughts and and uh, it sounds like such a, a glorious thing and. I know there there is this uh this, this drive in chefs. Um, Ashley Christensen recently wrote an essay uh, for us at Food and Wine based on a talk that she'd given. And she was talking about that compulsion to do more and more and more and more and open new places uh, and 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 just keep doing that other thing. Um, and she came up with a great phrase uh, sort of for people in her organization about people saying that people get, in, uh, they get promoted to their the point of their incompetency and that's not a bad thing they're just not ever taught that hey you don't have to keep rising and you know technically and doing these things um, you can actually be really really happy in doing the thing that you are but in, in the course of this she was she writes pretty openly about the fact that she broke and um, and telling yourself like whatever I have right now is is enough um, will you be happy if you have this place or is that you know I know that's a future sort of of question do you have enough of a support system around you to tell you no you cannot go franchise this you cannot go and build this in every city and save every restaurant worker in the United States of America and the world and the universe
1: yeah I need a lot of discipline um as a human which is why I probably love the, the kitchen so much but based on what I know today um I'm very thankful for. I've kind of devised this theory based around um, community and contribution to community. What is the largest unit of community? The universe. What is the opposite of that? What's the smallest unit of community? Two people. And so if I can draw a circle and write number two in it and then write the universe way up here Um, when I did that I saw a baseball diamond Um, and so I drew a V and then connected it and the universe is up here and Adi and I are here and then I started drawing more rings and then I saw that it was bandwidth (laughs) it was literally bandwidth Um, and When I was struggling with this idea of, will these self-care things be available to the guests or to other restaurants or other people, I don't know how to manage that yet. Um, And so I now look at things and base my decisions on my contribution to each little uh, bandwidth. So if I'm not taking care of Adi, I've got no business going anywhere further. If I feel like I'm contributing to that community, then I can move to the next one. If I feel like I'm still happy, I'm still healthy, and I'm contributing to that, then I can move to the next one. And I've done these really neat experiments where I've asked people to draw out their community diamonds. And you put in order the, the, the communities that, that you belong to, that you want to belong to, that, it, that you enjoy being a part of, and you put it in order, and it can be translated to anything. But I don't believe that you should go any further than what you're able to contribute to in a healthy way. And that's all you need. That's being happy with what you have. Um, and if you can go further, you're helping more people. That's fantastic. Um, and so at the restaurant, that's what, what that's what we're doing. Um, we're doing a restaurant community diamond. And so if the team is happy and healthy, then we can help the guests. And then it kind of breaks off and it snowballs into all these other um, diamonds, Uh, and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Seamus Mullen um, always says, like, good health is contagious. I feel like you've got a bad case of the good, (laughs) and I hope it spreads. I, so you know, these might have noticed the microphones up here. Um, I've got a podcast for Food and Wine called Communal Table. Um, and it's part of this thing that we have called Food and Wine Pro, um, which is for the industry, and it's a newsletter, and, and it's a lot of stuff about sort of self care for the industry. Um, and I do want to take a couple of questions from people, but I can't resist asking you the speed round of questions oh, that dear. I like to ask on um, uh, on every episode of of this. Um, one's a little maybe a little less speedy than the others, but the first one: Have you ever cried in the walk-in?
1: <laughs> um, I might today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I honestly think anybody who works in a restaurant who says that they haven't cried or had some sort of emotional thing in the walk-in is just lying. Uh, the other answer that people have is that they just take their shoes off in there and um, and, and step on the ground, and, and the this sort of cool floor against your hot feet is Ooh, a really that's
1: that's naturally wanting to be grounded.
0: Yeah, I, um, and I think it was always oh, Will Gadara who told me that. I'm like, you haven't cried in the walk-in. He's like, no, but I do this other thing. So everybody does uh, walk-in stuff. Um, and I remember actually the first person I talked about this with was Alex Gornishelli and she spoke very poetically about the scalding hot tears on your your cold face, and that being a really but that's grounding. That's getting in touch with your body. Okay, so we're going to have our Oprah moment here for a second. I am a huge fan. I, she's great. And, uh, and <laughs> I I've learned from Oprah many, many things. <laughs> um, she, bread. Bread is a beautiful thing. Um, she uh, so, she believes in saying things aloud to the universe. And it's not just saying it to the universe. It's saying to the people around you so they can help you get there. What is the selfish thing that you want? for yourself that anybody in this room, anybody listening to this can help you with? Peace. Yeah, valid. (laughs) They get a little bit lighter from here on out. (laughs) (laughs) What's your comfort food?
1: My comfort food, ooh. My my mother's chicken and dumplings.
0: I've had his mother's chicken and dumplings. Oh my gosh. We weren't any better. They cooked them together at Southern Foodways Alliance Symposium a few years ago. And I just remember it was this incredible lunch, this legendary lunch that. Um, it's sort of a place of honor. If 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 you haven't been there, or if you have, um, sh- different chef cooks at each time, and it's like Woodstock. Like, did you go to the year of the tomato pie? Like, did you? Know. I remember the tomato pie. Everybody remembers the tomato pie. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was it was Vivian Howard, and it was it was oh sorry no it was Ashley. I was actually Ash- Ashley. It was a different year that um, Vivian Howard actually cooked a tomato pie as well, which was also great. Um, but he was cooking this incredible meal with his mom, and I remember everybody put their their. Um, their phones down because it wasn't pretty the chicken and dumplings and they weren't putting it on Instagram. I'm like, are you kidding? This is the best thing you're going to eat in your life. <laughs> Maybe they were just enjoying it. I don't know, but that was really good chicken and dumplings. Um, what's the last meal that you had that made you emotional?
1: I would say that um, I had a meal Probably a week and a half ago at a restaurant called Single Thread.
0: Oh, Kyle can, cannot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And I don't know. I'm just so happy for for them. They're such amazing people, and to see their vision come to life and to be nurtured by that food made by those lovely people was really moving.
0: And it's a place I haven't been there, but just talking to Kyle, it feels it has a similar DNA to here and to Stone Barns, where. Where things are grown on premises and uh, just everything is... It's
1: a perfect restaurant.
0: Yeah. So what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? (laughs)
1: Um, Last night? (laughs) Does that
0: count? It does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Cassidy and her team uh, cooked for us at Mary Celeste last night. And it was, I mean, the power of the table and Mm -hmm. the power of food and hospitality is nothing nothing greater
0: yeah I, I walked in there a stranger to a lot of people and I felt like I walked out with friends and it was just it was a really really beautiful thing what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them and I know you have cooked for a lot of musicians but who's the person who if they came walking in you would it would take you a moment
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm Wow, uh, every person that pops into my head I've cooked for. <laughs> um, can they be dead?
0: No. <laughs> who's at the? Well, let's just say who's at the top of your your playlist right now. I, I know you're you've got a new baby and you might not be looking at new stuff, but when you're having music for for you, who's at the top of your playlist there?
1: <laughs> I am um, I am on a kick right now where I'm listening to a lot of Tom Petty. But the B side stuff. And
0: I'm sure you've cooked for Tom Petty. <laughs> well if if you if you could cook for him right now, what would you cook for him? What is that particular thing? Um
1: I would show him Appalachia.
0: Some In the traditional
1: cuisine of, of my my place.
0: Yeah, he would be lucky too. <laughs> and let's say you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. That um, Adi and the baby are napping. Your phone is in another room. All of these things. What do you? Do? And you just have five minutes. What is the thing that you do?
1: Um, right now, it's photography.
0: Yeah. I would yeah. be
1: editing pictures, yeah. <laughs> happily and, editing pictures. And
0: people can see that online some, right? Like, they, <laughs> mm-hmm. is it on your, your Instagram? Or mm-hmm. is it? Yeah.
1: Photography has been a great form of self-care for me because I it, it pushes me to be present. Uh, it pushes me to pay attention to everything that's going on around me and everyone. Um, they call it having your antenna up uh, when you're like a street photographer or just looking for interesting things. And ever since I started shooting um, with that in mind, uh, it's really relaxing.
0: Yeah, that is so lovely. And I feel like we can take a couple questions and then I have a sort of nutty thing inspired by uh, by Cassidy uh, back there that we can all do as a group in nurse List um, has, has approved. Um, and if people are sensitive to noise, they may or may not want to... Uh, participate, but I was thinking um, I had a I had a last summer was pretty difficult in in various ways, and uh, with this um, chefs with issues project that I do um, after Anthony Bourdain took his life, I uh, traveled around a lot and talked to groups of chefs, and I was not processing my own grief in in any useful or good way, and I couldn't cry. And the thing that I finally let myself do is, my husband and I have a gothic stone Episcopal church from 1854 in upstate New York. And the acoustics in that, it's made of limestone. The acoustics are really, really great and I sent him out with the dogs and I screamed. I put on music and I screamed from the bottom of my stomach and I mentioned this to Mary Celeste last night and she said yes. Um, so those who uh, will wish to stay for a, a scream, Cassidy was saying that she and, and her her team sometimes you know, are able to sort of process and, and let out emotions in a really good, healthy, productive scream kind of way. So whoever wants to stay for that, I think that could be a really good thing. But I just figured, um, We've been talking at you for a while, if, if there are a couple questions that people have.
1: Bob Weir. Okay. <laughs>
0: Sorry. When the dead comes straggling on through. <laughs> yeah, Bob Weir. And what would you get for Bob Weir? You'd show him a lot. well? I love that. I love that you have time to marinate on that one. Um, <laughs> does anybody have any questions? No One, it's silence. I am so grateful to be here. I am so grateful to all of Blackberry and to Mary Celeste and, and to, to you, Sean. I'm so happy you're here, and I'm so happy with what you are are, are, are going to be doing, um, but I'm so happy you're present right here in this moment, and I'm so Likewise. glad all of you are, are here. So I'm going to take this microphone off and whoever wants to join me, uh, Marisol, should we do this indoors, outdoors, whoever wants to do this? I mean, talk about Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know if uh, it's going to be, um, what was recommended to me before I did this scream, I plotted for it and um, I, I, you don't scream from your throat. Um, I talked to a few people who do, who uh, do some sort of stage work and stuff. Do it from the bottom of your stomach. Don't be afraid to uh, I, I I cried and snot flying everywhere <laughs> when, I was, when I was doing this. And it can be pretty raw and emotional when you do it, but um, I'm going to turn off all the microphones <laughs> and uh, we can do this. Whoever wants to do it. And if you need to bail and don't want to listen to that, we'll give you a minute to get out of here. I am so grateful to my guest, uh, Sean Brock, for that really thoughtful and honest and and, and humbling and generous uh, conversation. And if you want to follow what he is up to, um, he's very easy to find online, and he's got some incredible projects afoot. The book South is really just a stunner, an exploration of Appalachian food. And, and pick pick up your copy. Um, I want to thank Blackberry Farm for the, the opportunity to go and have a really frank and uncomfortable conversation like that. And uh, for folks who are listening, we did, in fact, turn off the microphones and get a whole bunch of people together and fill that room with screams. And it was beautiful and it was cathartic. Uh, some of the people who were there, some of the, uh, the paying people for the weekend there, were not necessarily uh, comfortable screaming right there, but promised me that they would go and find a spot later or scream in their car. We all need a little bit of outlet. Uh, sometimes. And if you need somebody else to talk to, I just want to shout that out again, Ben's Friends. Uh, you can look them up. It's I believe it's bensfriendshope.com. Somebody will be there to talk to. you. They try to answer everything within 24 hours. And those are just some of the best humans in the business. They are in 15 or 16 cities at this point, depending on when you are listening to this. And their goal is to roll out across all 50 states. Um, you can also text at any time, day or or night uh, crisis text line at seven four one seven four one and a little housekeeping notes i'm so excited for all of you to see the february issue of food and wine that is on stands now there are some beautiful features in there, uh, including a package that was curated by the incredible Dr. Jessica Harris on 400 years of black cooking in America. She recruited some of the best writing and cooking talent um, in the country to uh, bring recipes and stories together. It's fantastically photographed. And I hope everybody picks this up. It's a a really, really stunning package. And we will hear more from some of those folks in the coming months. Um, I have a story in there uh, that I interviewed a whole lot of uh, the top names in food, drink, hospitality at the uh, food and wine classic in Aspen tickets just went on sale, so maybe pick yours up for this year. And I got to sit down with all of these luminaries and talk with them about moments of failure. It's accompanied by portraits by the incredible photographer Landon Nordeman, and I hope you enjoy that. And then we've got our cover story by Lisa Donovan, pastry chef from uh, Nashville, also a James Beard Award winner for an incredible essay that she wrote called Dear Women, Own Your Stories, uh, that is on foodandwine.com. She wrote this incredible, her journey of uh, her her path as a chef that she has tracked through her 70-some kitchen notebooks that have been stacking up over time, and that comes with some pretty incredible recipes, including the dried apple hand pie that you can see on the cover. So here's your action (laughs) items. Go and get your tickets to Aspen, pick up a copy, and make those hand pies. I want to thank our incredible producers, Jennifer Martnick, Hallie Tarpley, and Margot Gotthelf for um, all of the. There's so much that happens behind the scenes, and I'm so grateful for the work that they put into it, our incredible production team. This conversation is part of Food & Wine Pro, and if you have not subscribed to that newsletter, do yourself a favor, take a second today, go to foodandwine.com. Pro is in the navigation there, and sign up for the newsletter that is... Uh, written by uh, Hunter Lewis our editor in chief. I'll pinch hit every once in a while. Um we have we talk about the stories that are going on that affect you that affect people in the business. Uh there's a always a mantra from our uh test kitchens uh Kelsey Youngman who is a certified meditation instructor and she's got her words of wisdom for the week. And you can always get caught up on the latest podcast there as well. You can listen to us on all the different platforms where you get your podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, we're on YouTube. Hey, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's a great way to catch up on all of these conversations. And if you like what you heard today, this is not an anomaly. We get great guests and they open up and talk about some really uh, personal and smart stuff. So please subscribe. And on any of these places where you can use stars or comments or anything, um, If you would write a comment, leave stars, that helps more people find us. Uh, It really tickles the algorithm there and more people can listen to it, which means that we get to keep doing this. And if you want me to talk to somebody in particular or talk about something that you really feel like needs more discussion, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm Kitten with a Whip on Twitter and I'm really pretty responsive there. Otherwise, like I, I find myself to be a, a highly findable person. So reach out and let me know. What you are thinking. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. Go to foodandwine.com, look for the latest podcast, look at Food and Wine Pro, sign up for the newsletter, and most importantly, take good care of yourself. Until the next time.